0: Hi everyone! Welcome to another episode of Third Eye Awakening. Today I have Trevor Monivon with me. I'm really excited to talk to him. Trevor is an entrepreneur, a seeker, and a transcendental meditation siddha. He currently works with a small business as a small business consultant and is very passionate about creating a more harmonious and prosperous future for our posterity. He'd also like to mention that so much of his self-development can be attributed to his discovery and daily practice of something called the release technique. So I'm excited to talk to Trevor. I heard another interview with him on a podcast on Sam Tripoli's Zero podcast and he talked about the release technique and I'm just really excited to dive into his story. Welcome, Trevor. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So can you give me and the listeners a little bit of sort of fuller context of kind of who you are, where you are, what brings you to this point on your journey to talk to somebody about <laughs> spiritual awakening?
1: Uh, yeah. So I grew up on a farm in uh, Illinois and I, I love the farm, but I, I didn't want a farm and I was the oldest. And so that was kind of unconventional, but I have two younger brothers that are pretty passionate about farming, which worked out really well. But I kind of struggled to figure out what I wanted to do with life and like my human design, if if anyone is familiar with that, I'm a 5'2". And I think that uh, if I remember correctly, like with the 5'2", Richard Beaumont talks about the fact that it's it's difficult for a 5'2 to figure out what they want to do in life. And so they will get into their early mid thirties and not have anything figured out and maybe be financially not well off. And then all of a sudden, they find something that they're really passionate about. And then it's like, they, you know, make up for lost time, basically. And so I guess that's like, on my journey, I'm getting closer to that point. But along the way, um, I, I had a lot of depression. So like, uh, for the last 15 years, up until about six months ago, I basically have experienced some form of depression. And like, if you would have asked me multiple times in, in the last 15 years at certain points, like, are you depressed? I would have said, absolutely not. I'm, I'm fine. But like looking back on it now, definitely depressed. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't, everybody defines depression, I guess, in a different way. But like, for me, it was like not passionate about anything really like, yeah. especially like career wise. And so basically I, uh, for the last 15 years, I've been trying to figure out how to remedy that without, taking medications that I think that we don't as like humans totally understand their, how they work or like, it's not addressing these, the problems, the, the root of the problem, basically that like, it's, it's the machinations of your mind that is creating the depression. And if you can like call it repair, call it like unwinding that stuff, that's not really you that you learned over the years that like that's a, a, a more holistic and like lasting way to deal with depression. Not that there's not anything wrong with medication, but it, it I think it's a short-term solution and not something that can really provide lasting relief that like I'm starting to experience, I guess. So, so for the last 15 years, I've been finding, looking at, for different ways to, I, I don't know if I'm, should I keep going? Is this- yeah, go
0: ahead. Yeah.
1: So for the last 15 years, I've been looking for different ways to do that and um exercise, I I noticed has helped a lot. And I actually have, I've I've known people before with what you consider bipolar, they were diagnosed bipolar, at least. And I think that's a overused term nowadays. But exercise has helped them a lot. And I know that it helps me a lot too. But I did along the way experience or, you know, have some experience with psychedelics, and they provided some relief as well. But I think that like, for someone like myself where it doesn't I think some of the studies that they're doing with like depression is like people who don't have the propensity for coming out of that depression into like an unsustainable or unstable what you might call like a manic state like a heightened state Mm -hmm. so for me it's like I'm looking for all these different ways to help alleviate depression and I, I know that like part of it's just life choices and like what what you're doing every day how you're thinking. But I also was looking for something that like could at least give me there a little bit quicker, or at least provide that like launch pad point kind yeah, of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally get that because I I had depression for a lot, like my whole twenties. Probably started, I think it started when I was eight, and. It wasn't until I was probably in my mid to late twenties that I finally went to a doctor because I was like, I was struggling so hard and I, I went on medication briefly. I went on Wellbutrin and Seracol, which I've shared on the show and it was really beneficial for me to do so, but it was short-term. But the way I describe it is like, it was like a leg up to get out of a hole that kept digging itself deeper and deeper. So. I am, I'm guessing that's kind of what you're talking about. Like with the psychedelics, like a launch pad, like a leg up so that you can actually get out of the hole and try something different. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It's not a permanent pulling you out of the hole, but it's, it's allowing you to have the opportunity to start, you know, putting different practices in a place, whether it's a, an exercise routine or, you know, eating healthier or whatever. But like when that depression just keeps like spiraling downward and it's just like the, the thoughts keep preying upon themselves and it's it's like it just continues. So, yeah. So the, the psychedelics, I I definitely felt relief. And I honestly felt I've described how I feel now, which I mean, the last time I did any kind of a psychedelic was ayahuasca, which was. Uh, that would have been December of 2019. So sorry November November December of 2019 so over a year ago mm-hmm. and so there's no I'm not under the influence of any kind of psychedelic to in order for me to be out of this depression right but uh during those trips and like for a fairly sustained period afterward it was like heightened confidence heightened like mental ability like I never I wish I would have taken like an IQ test in those depressions and then take one like now
0: mm-hmm.
1: or, or when I was on one of those heightened states after psychedelics, cause I know that like, it would be different. Like my thought process, I just wasn't that fast. It was like, and especially like to have words come out of my mouth, I would be so paralyzed with fear if I had to do a podcast with you like this right now, and some of those depressions, it would just wouldn't have been possible. Like yeah. I just told you like, no. Yeah, yeah. But I remember having, those experiences and then coming back down out of them and back down to like kind of the, it's not equilibrium, but it was like where I was at, you know, I guess it was my equilibrium at that time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so um, it was like, it got frustrating after a certain point because like, I don't know if I just would have done more psychedelics if it would have broken out faster, but I don't really think so because I think they're still like, they're giving you that leg up, like we're saying, but they're not a permanent like fix
0: mm-hmm.
1: to the problems that are or not problems, but the, the not self stuff that you've piled on basically. And so mm-hmm. meditation, I started doing meditation and right after the Cubs won the world series, <laughs> uh, November, 2016. And, uh, and I experienced some immediate, like somewhat relief. But so since then, um, about a year later, I went and got my MBA from Maharishi's University in Iowa, and I learned transcendental meditation, uh, the Siddhis program, which is like advanced form of meditation. And basically, that that helped quite a bit. But it still wasn't. It was like it was elevating the consciousness, but not unwinding the not self processes. Or it was, but not not as fast, I guess. And I found. This technique actually while I was out in Iowa called the release technique and that is the thing that for me personally was the catalyst to becoming like I mean it like enlightenment has like a million different like interpretations and personally for me like when I think about enlightenment I think of like someone like Maharishi Mahesh Yogi that was like at like um unique consciousness like and you know, that, that really like where you're just nothing but pretty much pure love, you know? yeah, yeah. That's for me enlightenment. So like it, the term gets thrown around a lot in the West and in, in America, like, Oh, are you enlightened? Like I've had people call me a yogi or enlightened before, just because I just don't think that they're, and I mean, maybe that's your interpretation of it, but there's a long way to go to get to Maharishi's level. Right. And this release technique just really starts to help you get to that, to that point is like unwinding all of that stuff. That's not you in order to become more of what you really are, which is ultimately at the end of the day, it is just love, but like, not to sound all, I know it sounds all new agey, but like, when you move up the hierarchy of, of emotions, like you go from what they describe in, in the release technique is it goes from apathy to grief, to fear, to lust, to anger, to pride, and then you move from pride into the higher vibrations of courageousness, acceptance, and peace. And there's a lot of different people that have had that kind of, but that's how they lay it out. And, mm-hmm. uh, and peace is like basically where you're coming from that place of mostly almost all love. And so I guess this release technique is the way that I have, it has really helped me to start to unwind all that stuff that's not me. I mean, I've had people tell me more recently, like, you feel like the you from like high school, like friends mm-hmm. that I've had for a long, long time. And they're like, I know that this guy was in there, but like, you haven't been this person since high school. And like, it's so weird that they say that because I see pictures. I, I was going back and looking through pictures recently of like, I was looking at pictures of me from like high school. And it's like, it looks like I, when I see that person, it's like, I feel like. It's weird. You know how like it it captures your, they say it like captures your consciousness at that time when you take Mm -hmm. the picture, you can tell like just by their face. And like, it's weird to see that. And it's like, I feel, it feels more like me now, Mm. this 15 years of depression. So I can kind of take you through what the release technique is.
0: Yeah, sure. I, I was so, I totally looked it up when I heard you on or watched you, I guess on zero and I thought it was really, really cool. But I just wanna add that I don't think it sounds new agey at all that we're all love, but I also think it sounds new agey. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, to me right. that I I completely that's what I just found through a download that I received back in May of all the ways that consciousness arranges itself through like dimension zero to 13, that zero point field is where we all emanate from. It's like the unity place and it right. is love. That is the it, the feeling that we experience as love. That vibrational frequency is what everything is made of. And so I think that's why it's such an essential experience for us. And when we don't have it and we're disconnected from it, it, it it's devastating to us. But I also think it's super attacked because like in our in our depictions and like pop culture, like in TV shows and movies and songs and literature and things like that, the concept of love is so warped to keep us sort of disconnected from it. And then and then when people talk about it like this, there's this sort of like, whoa, new agey kumbaya sort of Mm -hmm. connotation placed on it so that we feel like idiots talking about it. But I think that's really what we actually are.
1: Well, and I think that like love is like when you're really truly talking about love itself, like for us to try to use things with like sounds coming out of your mouth to try to describe what love actually is none of it is like, no, going to come close. So
0: totally. Yeah. He, the English language, at least I can't speak the oh, yeah. other languages except French, but the English language is very limited and yeah. is not a love language, <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I would love, I would love if you could walk us through the release technique because it sounds like it's been really powerful for you.
1: I, I describe the emotions. I can go through them again quick. So it's apathy, grief, fear, lust, anger, pride, And then you move into the higher vibrations of courageousness, acceptance, and peace. And so when you're in those lower states, it's uncomfortable. And basically he breaks it down to the guy who developed it. His name is Lester Levinson. And he breaks it down into like three categories. So there's three different wants that you want. And so you go through those three different types, depending on what you're feeling. So if you feel like you you know, you have an attachment or an aversion to something like if you're an entrepreneur and you have an aversion to like sitting down and doing work, like, you know what I mean? Like staying on task, then you can, that's wanting control. So then you go through this six step process of like unwinding that, that mental, that construct that you have, that's preventing you from being more of your in-flow state and actually getting work done you know what I'm saying? So yeah. like, I I'm not, i don't know if I'm doing it very much justice, but
0: I, I get what you're saying though. Like, there's well, cause I watched zero, but there's a, there's a process that you kind of like apply an angle to take, to deconstruct. Like you said, that construct that's keeping you separated from what you actually desire to experience.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you go through that six steps and then you, you, you may have to release on the same thing multiple times, you know, I mean, totally it's a daily practice. And uh, one thing I've also kind of noticed is that you might release on something and then you think it was kind of gone, but it might come back up. But over time, it's actually, it's almost like, I've tried to kind of conceptualize it with like metaphysically, because you know, you have your toroidal energy field Mm -hmm. and like, it's like you're unplugging it. So it's still kind of like in that field, but it's like winding its way out kind of. And so like, once you've done this technique, then it might be a week later that you start to notice. You like reflect back on the last week, and it's like that effect of whatever that was that you were, you were releasing. It's like slowly like faded away over the course of the last seven days. You know what I mean? Right. So it's literally like you started the process, and then through your actions, you're catching yourself, and you might not even be conscious of it at the time. But like you look your back on it, and you're like, "Wow, I didn't even have to release it again." But it is it is working its way out. Based on like more, I guess being more conscious of it, but then also just you want you started the unwinding process with the technique, and then it just
0: yeah, I I, so I understand what you mean. It's kind of like it's kind of like I'm imagining it like a knot, like you get a knot in a piece of thread or a jewelry chain or something like that, and but once you sort of loosen it up, then like all this consciousness can come through it and unwind it, and like so. So you don't necessarily feel an instantaneous, perfect, complete yeah. clearing in the exactly. moment that you do it, but it, it clears itself through time. Like I like what you said, you unplug it. So it's not continuing to get any energy or like a, a food source to stay active. It just dissipates through space and time. Exactly. Yeah. Cool.
1: Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. The guy that founded it was, uh, he kind of developed it on his own is his name is Lester Levinson. And uh, he just like basically the story goes that he spontaneously like developed it based on like adversity that he had, he had experienced in his life. And like, he just decided, I'm just going to start letting everything go. Like when I feel like I, you know, I'm worrying about something or thinking, I'm just going to let it go. And he just, yeah. and then he developed this actual six step process for people who, like didn't have that natural inclination to just let it go. Or like that willpower, that consistency, like he had to just let it go. Cause I mean, he went from like having health problems to like being a millionaire in a short period of time in, in like the fifties. I mean, That's amazing becoming, <laughs> becoming a millionaire in the fifties is like, it's a pretty big feat, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I love that though. And I think it's I think it speaks so much to like how simple it can be. And yet I appreciate that he made a six step process because it's kind of like you have to get to that place of desperation where you just kind of like the, it's like the, the breaker flips and your brain is just like, (laughs) like I'm letting everything go. (laughs) I don't even give a fuck anymore. And then. And, but not everybody, like sometimes you want to approach it, but you're not there yet. You're not at that complete rock bottom. And so your brain is still actively trying to keep these bullshit stories alive Mm -hmm. and they feel really, really real. And so having a technique, like a process is really helpful to sort of start illuminating how untrue they are and how they can be released.
1: Exactly. And I mean, part of it is because you identify with those yeah. mental constructs I mean they a lot of them you've had from young you know and so it's like you think they're part of you and really it's like the mind that's like tricking its host you totally. into into keeping it around because like oh you need me like we do this like no we don't need like it, it's uh it's hard to like I guess I if I, I need to sit down and write, a, write about it more because like it it really like, once you start to unwind that stuff, it's then it's like, you start to feel that relief. And it's like, you're never going to stop them because you've started to let go enough that it's like, why would you stop? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's like, I don't need any of that stuff, you know, and then you catch yourself more and you find more things that you want to release on. And it's just like this self perpetuating spiral upward that's that's one of the things that they describe it as is like instead of spiraling downward Uh you're literally starting to spiral upward
0: that reminds me of a lyric and so my favorite ever musician ever of all time is John Frusciante he just writes amazing amazing music in his well as part of the chili peppers but in his solo career and he has this one song I think it's called ascension but the final lyric is ascending endlessly and I don't even have to try and I just I remember being depressed and hearing that and I was it was like such a relief to even consider that the momentum can spin in the other direction too. And yeah. and that's what I've experienced. It it's it truly is like where I somehow broke through. Well, I understand my depression and where it was coming from. And anyway, I was able to sort of resolve it and release myself out of it. And that's just my own unique situation. But now I feel like it is completely effortless where I just my consciousness just keeps expanding, 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 receiving more and more truth. And I really don't have to try anymore, but I also like it's my biggest priority. Right. Effortlessly my biggest priority. But like right. I just won't do anything to jeopardize it because it's such a massive relief compared to what I was experiencing before that. Totally. Mm.
1: Well, and I don't think I'm at your level. Like, you know, I I still like on the weekends, I'll have a couple beers like, but I don't drink like I used to, like, I don't even have the desire to, and I think part of it's just because, like, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm around other people that might be drinking, and, like, it's, it's just more comfortable to have a couple right now, but, like, it is getting to the point where, like, uh, some of that stuff, I don't know, I mean, I, I, I'm just, I'm really thankful to be where I'm at, I guess, is what I'm saying. Mm
0: -hmm that's so nice. I'm really happy for you that you are feeling like a new level of equilibrium, which brings me to something when you were talking earlier about on um, the use of psychedelics and how you would like it would sort of catapult you into an expanded awareness that felt really liberating. Mm-hmm. And but then there would be this inevitable Sort of return to your equilibrium, and you said, Well, my equilibrium at the time. I just think that's a really interesting thing that you articulated that is not often spoken about with psychedelics, or I mean anything, but to me, psychedelics are like they are this beautiful, beautiful portal to. Like they change our internal chemistry so that we can, it regulates what we perceive. So to me, like be, because we're humans and we have an equilibrium, we're always having our perceptions moderated by our, you know, our apparatus, like our brain and everything like that. But there's so much information around us all the time, there's physically manifested information that we can't. <laughs> Like we have to filter it out, otherwise, we'd go insane. Right. But there's also non physically manifest. So, information that has not slowed its vibration down into physicality yet to be received through electrochemical signals through our five senses. So, there's so much information everywhere. And to me, psychedelics just tweak our chemistry so that we can receive more of that information. Oh. But we're already capable of that. But we, we then return back to our baseline because like when, yeah, it's like taking a jumping off point. It's like gravity. Like you have to come back to where you started from. It it launches you, but like, of course, unless and until you implement a whole bunch of changes through your actions and your own like rewiring of your beliefs, you're going to keep coming back down to the starting place or very close to the starting place is that is that kind of what you were talking about
1: yeah and i mean like i never really like just hearing you describe this makes me think of it like you know the psychedelic whatever it is it changes the chemical changes chemicals inside (laughs) the brain but like i think materialist science always wants to just be able to quantify and put it in a a beaker but i think what that's doing actually is changing the chemistry of the brain temporarily and what that actually can do is you know dna is a fractal antenna pulling in that information and decoding it and so by changing the chemistry of it it's almost like you're going through a time machine your chemistry is for a second and feeling a little bit more like you would if you had put in the work over time in order to evolve the consciousness and so then during that time you pull in some of that information and it feels great like but it's like a download that is like shortcut that like you can take for a while, but you still have to go back and start doing the work in your everyday life, you know, choosing love over fear and unwinding those processes in order to get to that state of more of a, like the equilibrium and that higher vibration at a, at a more consistent level.
0: Totally. It's, it's like, uh, so I did a live in my Facebook group yesterday, answering somebody's question about meditation. And she just started some months ago and was just feeling discouraged. And I said, like anything with meditation, with psychic development, anything like that, what's happening is you're, the beginning is slow and it's hard and it feels like work. And you'll probably understand this because you, you became a, a transcendental meditation city. That's what it is, right? City?
1: Well, the cities is what you learn and it, okay. you, become, you become a Siddha. Oh, a siddha. siddha.
0: Okay. Okay, cool. So, yeah. so I don't know, you will, you can either, s- validate this or say this wasn't my experience, whatever is true for you. But I find that it's like, you have to clear a path through, it's like a thick jungle, (laughs) like your consciousness, your brain, the way that we're programmed from before the point of conception, all the shit that's piled on us, like right from our entry point, it's like a jungle that makes it difficult to navigate our own internal experience and our own internal train and, and meditation is like clearing that path and creating a path. And once the path is cleared, it's easy. It's not hard to meditate, but the process of clearing the path is, is challenging and it's slow going at first. It's very easy to get discouraged, especially if you're not, you know, in a program or getting support in the process, but psychedelics are kind of like picking you up and levitating you to the other side where the path is clear and they can do it temporarily but you always snap back to where where your actual consciousness is and you then you have to it's like giving you showing you what's possible but you You still have to cut the path yourself yeah
1: yeah it's it's pretty incredible but it's it's tough to put in that work i think a lot of times but yeah. that's where like that's part of this this release technique that i cannot stress enough that like i did transcendental meditation for 4 years and it is amazing and it is done it has paved the way for me to be able to i think do the release technique and get the results that i did as quickly as i did because of the 4 years of meditation before that but like and i'm when i say meditation i mean consistently like yeah. usually, usually twice a day for like 4 years you know yeah. I mean? like yeah. Sometimes I do it once a day, but like it was, I, it was pretty consistent and it mainly is cause I just, the depression was so suffocating that I, I knew that I needed, I needed, I needed to get out of it, you know, but I guess one thing that I would mention too, that I didn't, didn't mention in when I was discussing everything. And I think that this does have a big part of played a big role in my whole process of getting to where I'm at now is that, so I learned transcendental meditation in, in November, 2016, but in October of 2015, uh, that was the year before the Cubs won the world series, but they were playing in Wrigley. And I literally, my, I could see the stadium lit up from my hospital bed. I, uh, I had to go to the hospital. My Cro I had Crohn's disease and it was getting so bad that like it hurt so bad. I was driving for Uber and like, it hurt so bad that I would hold the seatbelt off of my, abdomen while I was driving with one hand and then steer with the other hand because it literally just the pressure of the seatbelt was like enough that it, it hurt that bad anyway I ended up going to the hospital I had surgery emergency surgery because while they were in there doing diagnostics it literally broke and like one of the images that they took they could see and like I don't know if like the white blood cells they said came in and protected me and like wow. and my pain tolerance is like stupid high I guess but like they had to do within like two hours, they need to be operating because you'll, you'll go septic, you know, that Yeah, all that inside can't be in there. So then I had a, one of those ileostomy bags for 60 days. And I remember like multiple times during that whole process. And I know this might be a little bit gross, but I'm just going to say it. Cause like during that whole process, it was so humbling to like have that, that on your side there. And like, I remember like multiple times, like, thinking like to God, like it was a weird feeling, but I was like, I was like so thankful. I was like, thank you for this opportunity to humble me and put things into perspective so that I can just start being a better person. Cause I know that that's part of what this whole process is. Like, it's like, and like changing my perspective during that time really like paved the way for me to be open to like, Stuff like meditation and like really getting to the bottom of what all this not self stuff that was happening to me, or not happening to me. I was choosing. I mean, I hate to sound. I don't mean to sound like a victim, but like I was choosing. You know, those things that were not self, not me, and uh, having that that humbling experience of the disease and and the you know life saving whole thing I lost like 30 pounds I went from like 170 pounds down to like 130 135 pounds and like that whole process just like changed me
0: that that's amazing that you received it that way like I just thinking like that must have been such a profound sort of like root chakra sort of awakening to be like having an ileostomy bag on the outside and being like oh right I'm a biological being and this is part of my process and like sort of not taking your body as for granted which I know I have a tendency to do I think we all in western culture have a tendency to take our bodies for granted and how amazing and miraculous they are but another person could have totally or another version of you in a different timeline could have totally just used that to feel even more miserable about your situation. And, and
1: that, that's what I wanted to, that's one of the things that I wanted to mention too, is that your emotional state has such an impact on your health. Yeah, and Like modern medicine, like it's just hard to quantify it. So like they're kind of handcuffed when it comes to that. And like, They can tell you like, yeah, I definitely think your emotional state has something to do with it, but like, they can't tell you like, okay, so do this. They're like, okay, here's Remicade. This is all we know to do. This is Remicade. We're going to give you this infusion every three months. We're going to come to your house and for three hours, we're going to plug in an IV to your body and we're going to shoot this stuff in you. And it's supposed to basically tame down your immune system. So it's not fighting your own, its own host. Your immune system is fighting its host is because of your unbalanced emotional state a lot of probably i shouldn't say probably from me from my experience it was like self-loathing depression (laughs) anxiety and like that like makes you you start attacking its own host you know and so until you unwind those processes and stop stop being so self-destructive like your body's going to react that way and like no amount of medication is going to change that. So when they talk about finding a cure for Crohn's disease, I don't think there is a cure for Crohn's disease. I don't think there will ever be one other than, and that's just my own personal opinion. And I could be wrong, but like, I think it's more of like, we need to heal the human individual level. And not, we need to heal. The human needs to heal himself, herself. People can show you the way, but you have to like, find that self-love and do that work to, to get to that point, you know? Yeah.
0: And no, I agree with you completely. Like, I think to they're, they're they'll never find a blanket cure for many conditions because the cure is as unique as the individual, because exactly. the, the, the what went into the creation of the state of disease is completely unique to that person. Yep. And yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree that like, and, and it's, we, I mean, we're learning more and more. I love being alive during this time because even over the last, I don't know how long I like, you know, when you, you get to an age where you're kind of like, ah, like how long have I been alive for? Like when am I, I'm estimating times I don't even know anymore, but whatever, let's just say the last like 12 years, it feels like there's been so much progress in terms of like, conversations like this happening about healing in so many different places and it becoming less marginalized and more people are discovering it through their own experiences and therefore accepting it and kind of like not being able to be talked out of it anymore and oh what was I gonna say oh yeah the the thing that I think we don't in in the west anyway fully understand we definitely don't fully understand we're we're still in a baby stage is like the ability to align with the state of healing or any state of being for that matter, before the physical results occur, because anything like this is what I've sort of discovered through manifestation. It works really well for me, but it takes me a long time. I got to say, I have to go through a lot of deconditioning of all the bullshit, like limiting ideas I have that get in the way. But eventually when I've cleared enough of those, then I can move into a state of kind of seeing my external experience even my embodied experience in the moment as sort of a mirage and I just don't take it so like to take it to be the fact anymore and I now realize that what I experience through my pure imagination and through that that sort of resonates in a beautiful way in my heart center is actually the truth and it's my future self trying to tell me like look this is where we can be. Just believe me. Would you just believe okay. me? <laughs> just sure. vibe with this. Fuck all that stuff that's going <laughs> on in your real life. Yeah. It's old news. Let it go. <laughs> and and then my external reality or my body rearranges to match that thing that I've aligned with. And I think that's part of healing too, but it's just not like, there's no, it, there's no discussion of it in mainstream health at all whatsoever.
1: Well, and I mean, uh, that's like, it, obviously i mean maybe not obviously or maybe it's not totally true but like there's just not money in that stuff like someone taking responsibility for their life and like not playing the victim anymore because that's one part of like the whole thing like when i had that whole thing happen to me with the Crohn's, it was like oh my god then everybody's treating you with kick gloves and like there's feeling sorry for you and like oh my god are you okay and like and then when you got to go do something like you know the bag was new so then like i might have some complications with it or something Then everybody feels so bad if something happens you know oh my god are you okay like and it's it's natural human reaction i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that but like it does tend to fuel then that Mm. victim mentality and it's like there's nothing I can do. And then when the doctor who's trained all these years and you have the whole medical field that just tells you like, there's nothing you can do for Crohn's disease. There is no cure for it. When I went off of the medication, I started in November, 2016, or no, I started medication right after the surgery in October, 2015. I learned transcendental meditation in a year and one month later in November, 2016. And then by January 2017. So only two months later. I kind of already decided before because i would make been making some other just like lifestyle changes, like eating healthier, whatever. I came to um, January 2017. I told my doctor, I'm like, this is the last infusion for now. Like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do another one in March. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing another Remicade infusion. And he's like, yeah, you are. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm telling you like, I've been doing some stuff. I've been changing some life change, things in my life. I don't want to do it. I said, if, if it's not going to just like spring back and I'm going to be screwed in two months, like that's just when I'm due for another infusion. So let's just not schedule one. And I'll let you know if I start having problems, you know what I mean? It's not going to be like, I'm just going to, Oh my God, my intestine's is going to burst the next day, you know? <laughs> so he's like really frustrated with me. And like, I had a couple of checkups or follow-ups, follow-up appointments after that and he's kind of still frustrated and like I know that like he was like worried I have to think that he was worried that something was going to happen to me that he like it was it was his what I call that oath his Hippocratic oath kicking in and saying like yeah I'm not doing any harm like I'm trying to help this kid but he's not letting me help him and not that like there goes an asset out the door like that was money-making opportunity. And what is he doing? I got to think it's the first one,
0: first yeah. one.
1: but like it just, I, I told him like, I'm not doing it. And it was just so much resistance. And I was like, dude, I'll let you know if I don't feel good, but it's like the medical system itself is like, whether he was coming from a good place or not, doesn't matter. Like his reaction to it was not helpful. Like that authority figure of the doctor who's like, dude, freak he's like freaking out that you're not gonna get the infusion. You know what I mean? So it's like hard to do all these things. Like you're the deck is deck is stacked against you. Yes. From the get-go.
0: Yeah, it really, it really, really is. It really is on levels that we I mean, I levels that I know I don't understand. The deck is stacked against us, that we're we're really not meant to find our power according to the system that we exist in, but it's so because I used to work in, I mean, I'm in Canada, so it's slightly different, but not really because they still get paid fee for service. It's just, we get paid by the government, but my experience with doctors and nurses and midwives and everybody who works in the healthcare field that I've come across is that for the most part, they get into it with really great motivations. Most of them, some of them get into it cause it's just like, they're super intelligent. They get good grades. And it's like, obviously I have to, you know live up to that and they don't really like people. <laughs> so some of them are like that but most of them get into it for good reasons. It seems to me, but you go through this system and in order to like stay in it you have to drink the Kool-Aid. You have to believe what you're learning because otherwise you you are aware that you're harming people and taking away their agency every day. Right? Like it's so silly that it's, it's your life. You can say it's kind of like being on a regime of taking like Advil every six hours and being like, you know what, I'm going to skip the next dose and just see if my pain and inflammation comes back. And if it does, then I'll know, Oh, (laughs) I shouldn't go off of it. Right. It's like, it's not that big of a deal, but from his perspective, he was probably like, I'm the expert. I've gone to all the schooling. I'm telling you, there's no cure. This is what you have to do. Just listen to me. And also I'm liable if something happens to you, which is so unfortunate because how can somebody practice in a way that's truly unbiased and truly centers the agency of the patient? If they are constantly thinking about having to cover their butts,
1: right? Yeah. Well, I think in his case, because I was the one refusing the infusion and he was recommending it, that like he technically, and maybe you didn't mean that, like he wouldn't be legally liable, but he would feel like morally, he feels morally obligated to like let me know, like, hey man, I haven't had anyone do this. I don't think it's a good idea.
0: Yeah. 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 And so, and you went off of it, and are you still off of it?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I haven't.
0: That's I, amazing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's a huge feat. So, so before we hit record, uh, we were just sort of chatting about what to talk about. And um, I,
1: thought, I, I thought you meant you hadn't hit record yet. You said before I hit record, and I thought you meant we weren't You're recording. like,
0: what? We've been talking this whole time. Like, this is gold. <laughs> yeah, no, we're recording now. But before I hit record, uh, Trevor was telling me, just giving me some um, backstory of the experience of you know, 15 years of depression and all the things that he's been doing to get through it. And I just got to say that from my perspective in this tiny amount of time that we've been having a conversation, I think it sounds like you've made incredible, incredible progress and you just have had a lot of stuff, a lot of not self stuff piled on you that you, as you describe it, that like, even when you said, you don't think you're at my place where I feel like I'm at endlessly ascending, you might, you probably had more shit to work through than I did. And and like, who's to say, right? Like it's not a, I don't mean to bring it into a comparison place, but just where I want to reflect back to you that it sounds to me like you've made tremendous progress. It's just been like having to work through so many layers of crap. It's amazing that you are at a place where your physical body is no longer dependent on an immune suppressing Medication just to maintain itself anymore, like that is friggin' phenomenal.
1: Thanks. Well, I I mean, this is gonna be. I I, if my my gastroenterologist ever heard me on this podcast, he would probably lose his mind because I actually have actually have smoked cigarettes since then, which is like, if you know, like what that means, like that's just that's just crazy. But that's really dumb. But I'm saying that like because of all the work that I've been putting in with like the taking care of the emotional state that even doing some of those things physically that led to the problems of the Crohn's disease originally, it's not like it, you know what I mean? I don't Mm -hmm. recommend anyone who has gone through an ileostomy to smoke a cigarette ever again. It makes no sense. But like, I'm just saying that like, I think we underestimate the power of the emotional state. And like, Mm -hmm. once you can start to, get that under control like so much of our disease is from it's dis-ease it's not Mm -hmm. being at ease in your emotional state
0: totally i I, totally being in a constant state like having been in my own version myself being in a constant state of self-loathing low self-confidence like negative self-talk just feeling like a worthless worthless useless human taking mm. up space and polluting the planet, like that, that kind of stuff. When you are in a sustained state there, of course, it's going to negatively impact your, your physical body, but also the choices you make, the life that you create, co-create for yourself. Like it's just not going to result in anything good because you are in a state of disease because all those thoughts are bullshit, yeah. <laughs> but they, man, do they ever feel true when they feel true? eh?
1: So It's so true. Yeah. Yeah, I guess my, like, I just would, I try to think back of like how I felt like before the Crohn's, like that, that's before I had to have that surgery and like what I would say to that person, because like I was looking for answers, but like, it was like a big part of it for me is like taking responsibility for where you're at right now and not judging it. And I know this is so easy to say and so hard to do, Yeah. but like it really just comes down to self-love. And I I think a big part of like what would have helped me more, and I did do this a couple of times in like serious desperation, I would stand and look in the mirror and just tell myself, I love you because it's like you're creating this connection between like with yourself that like you're. And you might have to just do it. I mean, that might not be a bad practice for just to every day look in the mirror and say, I love you like 10 times and try to say it with as much sincerity as possible, because you're starting that process. You're starting the ball rolling in the opposite direction. You're you're starting to establish that, like that compassion for yourself. Because I know for me, like I had compassion for other people, mm. And I, and I felt like I could have more, but it was so hard to have it because I didn't have it enough for myself.
0: Yeah.
1: I feel like most of us, like that's part of the not, the not self that comes in is that it doesn't want you to love yourself because that way the not self can survive, you know? Yeah. So just telling yourself that I, I love you, you know, just, and you, you should love you. Like we all should love ourselves because I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, we are all coming from, single source
0: and we're miraculous we are miraculous and it's easy for me to see that because I got to uh, deliver so many babies and like I never met a baby that was just like a piece of shit (laughs) never never they were all like you know bring tears to your eyes as you look at their perfection even ones I even received ones that were not gonna live I received ones that had deformities like but they're so beautiful we're all so beautiful and we just received this weird shitty messaging in a million different ways that you know we're crap but we're not crap at all and I I think like one of the things I've noticed through my Akashic readings is that most people who are here, like a lot of people want to know about their sole purpose. And most of us have this, I know I used to have this uh, misconception that sole purpose equals career because we live within a system where we have to have money. And so we're constantly thinking about like, how, how am I going to get my money? How am I going to get my money? And I don't want to spend all my time doing something that feels like a waste of a life, but that's a whole different topic than soul purpose. Soul purpose, what I find is usually like the decision to come in and clear out a whole bunch of bullshit, like stuff that needs to be healed. So like stuff, sometimes it's people come in with the agreement to clear stuff from their lineage. So like something they've inherited, like as a generational pattern, some people come in and they're like, they just happen to pick a family and they don't actually have any attachment to that family, but they have like healing to do around eating disorders or healing to do around feeling like you don't, you're not allowed to take up space on the planet or whatever. Like there's a bajillion different ways that we've been traumatized through you know, many centuries. And right now, so many of us are here to work through all of that. And we're so hard on ourselves, but we're doing a really good job. It's not something that <laughs> like, like what you, you've you been talking about in your whole journey. It's not something even with the release technique that you can just like, bam, it's gone. It's, it's tenacious. It, it has a life force of its own almost. And it, or like an, an ego of its own. And it wants to stay Active, it wants to stay alive it doesn't want to die and and so it's a lot of work
1: well one way that i've heard described that makes a lot of sense is gnosticism gnostic christianity in particular talk about they i mean they basically describe back then we're talking around the time of jesus of they're basically when you read the gnostic texts that never made it into the official bible the the bible the canon yes like this stuff describes like a, a simulation like a digital simulation like yeah. they couldn't describe it back then cuz they didn't have the infrastructure that we have now to like quantify it but archons when they talk about archons that's like this influence from the simulation that we are inside of this digital simulation the consciousness is what is what gives life to it but then it's like the digital part of the simulation itself is what's kind of attacking you. That's the not self, the archons. And then the real you, which is consciousness, which is love, like you have to start choosing that and cultivating that. And it will, you will eventually start to like shed some of this archonic influence. And I mean, that's really the purpose of my life, honestly. And I feel like at a, I can't speak for everyone else, but I think it's kind of like a central theme that like, choosing love over fear it like that's kind of why you're here you know yeah
0: i i agree completely and i feel like there's so many of us who are doing that and we might not even all be super consciously aware of it but that on its own like i wish we could all make millions of dollars off of it and i think we can i think we just have to align with the the state of being financially abundant, but I think it's such a powerful, powerful service to all of the souls that are here because it opens up a portal for us to be able to move out of the simulation if we want to. And I also really think that there's also nothing wrong with staying in the simulation for all the people that all the souls that just aren't ready. It's, there's they they have experiences to to enjoy here still but but i do think that choosing love over fear is a is a huge it can feel like a really big daily moment to moment challenge and it's a huge act of service to the collective consciousness
1: totally and i think that like trying to take it one moment at a time one day at a time is like the best advice that i can give because like for me personally, like I've thought about in the past, like, you know, as far as like career, like it was like, and I don't know if we're running out of time, but like, I have always wanted to just help out as much as I can. And like, I remember watching like nine 11 videos and like, just thinking like, whoever is behind this, like, not thinking I myself single-handedly am going to, but like, we need to, put a stop to whatever is doing that yeah that's that's not okay you know and like the reason i'm bringing that up is like for that like a concept like that like that has to be taken one day at a time Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like you can't just like i mean when someone makes a documentary about 9-11 like back in the like when they made loose change like it's just one step, you know, we're getting the information out there and someone, and people are learning about it. And then we, as a society, as a species will adapt and learn and, and how we can overcome something like that. You know what I mean? It's like, but taking it one day at a time is like so important because when you think about the big picture, big picture and you're like, oh, civil war or pandemic or whatever, like it can seem really overwhelming, but like all you can really control is you and your life and the decisions that you make and how you impact the people around you. And the more you can just take that like one day, one moment at a time helps a lot.
0: A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And also our only place of power is the moment. Mm -hmm. Like we have no actual influence over the future apart from what we're choosing right now in this moment right now. And the same with the past we re arrange and re reconfigure the past and what it means to us and how we interpret it and the way that we carry it forward from this now moment. So this is the place where we have all of our power and totally like big picture planning. I think that's why we get overwhelmed because we pan out and we look at it. We're like, bah, there's too many variables. <laughs> you just can't account for them all. So you just got to come back and deal with what is right in front of you right in the moment, which I mean, and like, I'm not perfect at that. I'm just getting better at it, but I'm not perfect well, at either. That's
1: why I really want to start to study the the Daodejing Ching more because uh, I feel like it's just this innocent, like pure, form of like teaching that's teaching you through different through all the different logians like giving you different kind of not scenarios but like different ways to apply the middle path of like choosing that point that is like not too far to this side not too far to this side it's just like going with that state of flow and like when you you talked earlier about like your higher self, like trying to say like, Hey, go this way. Like, it's like that when you're really following that doubt, when you're really following the Tao, you're really following that middle path. You're following like your soul's purpose. You're following your higher self to a T and you're not letting, you know, too much of your logic take over or you're too much of your emotions. Like you're, you're following that, like that harmonious middle path.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, in that space where, you can, I think in my perception, you can manifest more effectively or create more effectively because you're not, like those extremes are where the ego thrives. And so when you're kind of in that Tao path, your ego is, is tamed. You're not reacting so much on one side of the spectrum or the other.
1: Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. This has been such a great conversation. <laughs> Just before we go, can I ask you one question? Is that okay? Do you have time for one question? Uh,
1: yeah, okay. I mean, I got I got as much time as you need.
0: Okay. I'm curious, through all of the work that you've done, all of the unraveling and discovering of the not-self and dissolving all that you have so far, what is the the biggest thing that stands out to you as I asked this question that was like the biggest lie about yourself that you've been able to release?
1: It's like a really good question. I think for me, it's been so hard to to quantify that. Like I would say not being so hard on myself. And like a big, a big reason why I got to the place that I was was I did kind of like always have this like pressure put on it's weird this is really weird to say I think maybe so I'm just gonna say it I really (laughs) resonated with Superman like the concept of Superman and like I've always wanted to help out humanity as much as possible I guess and like I put these unrealistic expectations on myself I remember like people saying to me when I was younger like you know they say to a lot of kids like you could be like president someday. So then like, I genuinely like had the pressure of like, I need to do something, whether it's become president, I, I need to do something to, to make the world a better place. Like having this like huge weight on my shoulders. And it basically comes down to like, I have to do that to make up for whatever I think I'm not good enough for, okay. ultimately, you know? Yeah. And so by releasing that, like that, not self-concept of like not being good enough and needing to like fix stuff out in the world in order to, to compensate for whatever I don't feel adequate with inside, you know, mm-hmm. to release that, in a, that feeling of inadequacy because it's, it's, it's just a, it's not even real mm-hmm. to let that go. And I think that's for, for all of us to a certain extent, you don't feel adequate, you know, that's part of the programming coming into this whole thing. Yeah. So that was, I think the biggest thing for me is like knowing that I'm enough and then being able to create from that state. Because when you're constantly in this state of like not being enough, then you're looking to some outside influence yeah. to like complete you or enable you to to achieve whatever goals you're setting out to achieve.
0: Yeah, that's so good. and And then like considering the opposite of like, whatever you create from a space of believing that you're good enough is like it's the i i can't even find words to sort of like convey how powerful that feels to consider that when you're when you're giving and creating from a, a place of really believing that you're enough it's what you're giving is so much more bountiful and effective
1: well, I think it's partly because it's coming from your heart center. You're, you're, you have more of that love for yourself, and yeah. lo- and then when you have that love for yourself, you can have that authentic love, closer to agape for every for everyone and everything. And then when you're coming from that place, like the process of cre- creation is like so much more effortless. You
0: know? Totally. That was a great answer. What a beautiful high note to leave this on. That was so good. This has been a fantastic conversation. I'm so glad that you messaged me. It's just been a total delight to me. So I'm sure like, I mean, selfishly, when I record these conversations, I'm just like having the conversation that's interesting to me and hoping that my listeners enjoy it as well, but it was super interesting to me. So thank you so much for your time and your honesty and just sharing your perspective. I think it's really, really beautiful. And I've gotten a lot out of it. So thank you, Trevor. Thank you, Amy. And thank you everybody for listening. You know, the drill, if you listen to this episode and you enjoyed it and you want to show us some love, then screenshot yourself listening and then tag Trevor and I on Instagram, all of his Instagram handle and his future. Well, I don't know if you want me to share your future podcast. If you don't, it'll just get edited out. Yeah,
1: but. you can. I mean, it's not out yet, but.
0: Yeah. So Trevor's making a podcast. You should listen to it. The name of it is AG Headgear. So keep your eyes open. And I'm also including the Release Technique website in the show notes too. So everybody can find it. But yeah, tag us. Let us know that you're listening, that you enjoyed it. Rate, review, subscribe, share, all the stuff. Thank you for your attention. I appreciate it so much. And I hope you all have a beautiful day or night, wherever you are. Catch you on the next episode, guys. Thank you so much for being here with me on this episode. I appreciate you more than my words could ever say. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And I will catch you on the next episode.